everything in health and healthcare is fundamentally about people and relationships. It's about that dynamic between a patient and a provider and the trust that occurs. As I think about the role we have, we are trusted in these communities, in these nearly 10,000 sites across the country. We also have pharmacists and pharmacy technicians who represent the populations we're looking to serve. That's Dr. Q. Ree, Senior Vice President of CVS Health and Chief Medical Officer of Aetna. He and his team lead the innovation, design, and implementation of new healthcare management and population health solutions. As a longstanding public health advocate, Dr. Ree believes in transforming health equity through the use of data to better predict, personalize, and prevent some of the greatest health challenges of our times. So 50% of our pharmacy technicians are minorities and 40% of our pharmacists are minorities. And so one of the most fundamental parts of addressing health equity is, in my opinion, the making sure your workforce represents the populations that you're meaning to serve. And so once you think about pieces like that, then so much of it is about the conversations and the ability to better personalize the connections with people to help them address something like vaccine hesitancy. Once again, the role of the pharmacist, the role of the pharmacy technician, the role of the doctor, the nurse, the nurse practitioner is such an important part of building that trust. I'm Justin Beck, founder and CEO of Contact World. I'm here with my co-hosts, Catherine Delson and Deepti Pava. And over the coming months, we'll be talking to scientists, researchers, celebrities, experts, anyone who's been affected by COVID, and getting to the bottom of how we can improve public health together. We may not have all the answers, but you deserve to understand what goes on in your neighborhood and the decisions that will affect you and your family's health. Welcome back to Contact World Truth and Health, everyone. So we're entering a new phase of the pandemic. It's a phase that's going to take adjustments in the way that we live our lives. And it's really going to test our humanity. It's going to test our concept of civil liberty for the sake of keeping other people safe. And it's going to test the way that employers and businesses conduct themselves, especially so we don't actually create more disparities or inequities that we've talked about during this show. So Deepti, in this, our last episode of season one, you had the incredible opportunity to speak with Dr. Ree, Senior Vice President for CVS Health and Chief Medical Officer for Aetna. CVS operates about 10,000 pharmacies and Aetna services more than 20 million members in the United States. So this is a pretty cool opportunity. It felt to me like this discussion captured all of the themes from season one, namely health equity, data, and the importance of public and private partnerships. Can you tell us more about what you learned? Absolutely, Justin. I mean, talking to Dr. Ree was really about prioritizing equity in the light of current pandemic and also how private companies like CVS Healthcare play such an important role in targeting social problems such as health equity. We talked about the role of data, the collection of data, the predicting and trends and outcomes, as well as how that should be converted into insights, make them more intelligent and actionable. Also, how important it is in the first place to collect that data and identifying these health inequities and their drivers is essential for achieving success with the most common problems in the world. So I would just say monitoring the health inequities, which is very, very crucial, but also to find out who is being left behind. How do you find that out? How do you inform health policies, programs, practices, 
that aim to, you know, closing the existing gaps, that is only possible once we collect data, we have the data and we convert that into insights. And I know, Justin, that we have been ourselves also working a lot in this direction. I would love to have your take on the role of data. Well, I love how you and Catherine tend to have such an optimistic view of the way that the systems work. And as you guys know, I'm an optimist, but I actually think that what we've learned this year together with our listeners is that a lot of the data is actually deliberately eliminated from the system because you can't fix what you don't know. I think that one powerful term that really stuck out to me was when Abigail Echo Hawk called it data genocide. And that's a really harsh term, which I understand, you know, she uses for maximum impact because that's what it really is. But what I think about the role of data, I'm really excited to be partnered with Satcher Health Leadership Institute and the Health Equity Tracker Project, which was a multi-month initiative involving numerous stakeholders from people in Congress to membership of a bunch of organizations at the highest levels and trying to figure out how to fix the system, the way that we collect data around health equity. And I think that the broad theme is that We can't rely exclusively on government to do this. It has to be something that, from our perspective and what Contact World is doing, it has to be almost forced and installed. So what I see is working with local health agencies and working with private organizations to install ways that they record the health equity data. And then we get the insights. Yeah, and I also think as much as we talk about, you know, the government piece, and our part in finding and sourcing for solutions. It's also good to see a big company like CVS being vested in that and having a stake in seeing that there are inequities out there and that it's not just a burden or responsibility of the government to settle that. Absolutely. Justin and Catherine, what you both are actually saying is that what is the result of this pandemic, maybe it's been accelerated a little bit, but what we've actually come to realize is that what we need is a collaborative and a public-facing data platform, which is exactly what Health Equity Tracker Project is all about, which is completely devoted to addressing certain societal issues which have been always there, like health equity implications for vulnerable populations. But also, they would eventually help in population health in general for everybody. And to that extent, we also talked a little bit about data philanthropy. What we talked about was that how important it is in terms of data donation in the pursuit of helping others. I was reading a report that said that today, approximately half of all the deaths in the world go unrecorded. And health policy decisions are often based on inadequate information. And we do talk about a lot of data being generated, at least in the private sector, because of the big data and all the other technological advances. But society as such has not yet fully embraced the remarkable benefits that data-based predictions can contribute to the global prosperity and resilience in the times of crisis like this one. And I definitely agree with the fact that it is imperative that private and public sector organizations work together to construct ways to safely and productively utilize data for the benefit of communities around the world. What is your take on that, Catherine? I think collaboration is the key. And unfortunately, it's how does it happen? How do we mend the communication gap between the public and the private sector so that they do work hand in hand? But definitely we need to have those conversations and really merging because at the end of the day, we all have the same interest. And that is to see things equalized across the board for everyone. 
Smart Health RM, our core software with Contact World, is actually focused on the bridge between local health agencies and then the community. And namely, Dr. Allen, who you remember we have interviewed earlier this year, the chief of programs at the National Association of County and City Health Officials, talks about how the other stakeholders in public health include schools, employers, healthcare providers, long-term care facilities, mental health and drug treatment facilities, and the corner store slash pharmacies, you know. So it takes people like Dr. Ree, it takes people like Daniel Dawes, it takes people like Dr. Allen at Nacho, you know, beyond just the companies, it takes the people that are carrying this torch to fix the system. It takes people like us too that are looking at all of the issues that exist and actually just saying, like you said, Catherine, what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to implement systems and local health agencies and these stakeholders that help enable the use of data and collection of data. But we also have a big job to do because while we're trying to talk about data philanthropy, one of the issues we face is the abuse of data from social media companies and other companies like that. That's like a big challenge because on one hand, we're talking about why it's important that we're not going to use data. Like our company isn't even allowed to. Our charter restricts our use of commercializing personal data like that. We don't talk about that enough. But when we think about data philanthropy, we're swimming against abuse of data by a lot of multinationals. And it's hard to cut through that. Yeah, very interesting, Justin. And in that spirit, we had also talked about a little bit on the data privacy and how trust and transparency are such an important part of it. There are ways, rising new techniques where companies and governments should be thinking about privacy by design to understand what is the data that you need to collect? How do you minimize that data for the insights you need to generate. You don't need to collect everything, you know, because that's when you start building lots of data that may or may not be used in the end, and that may be also used not in the right ways. So I think we all equally need to start working on privacy by design and ethics when it leads to data-based strategies. I totally agree with that. And I also think another piece is to add some accountability for the outcomes, right? When we're collecting the data, how is the public being made aware that this is how it's being used and how it's being used to benefit them in the long haul? I promise you, if they're really fully aware, then they'll become more vested in the outcome. And that's why they'll be more willing to share about how it's going to help them, help their community and make things better across the board. But when we take the data and we do God knows whatever happens to it, and then the person gets more reluctant, why should I allow you to have access to my data when you're going to use it for you know other things and not necessarily for the benefit of the public as it should be used? Right. And then there was one other thing that we touched on earlier. We talked about like the other larger initiatives that might spring forth as a result of the pandemic. I learned this morning about something called the Driving Public Health Forward Plan, which is what is being kind of shaped as a five-year plan that is kind of building on everything we've learned from the pandemic and making a more concerted effort to resource public health agencies and, and implement things like we're doing with the Health Equity Tracker Project. So the stakeholders involve National Association of County and City Health Officials, with whom we're aligned, the Association for State and Territorial Health Officials, 
the Big Cities Health Coalition, and the Public Health Accreditation Board. And what we learned from this is that this consortium is going to be working on data and technology, including integration, which again touches on a lot of the things we're talking about, expanding workforce capacity, health equity, governance to support public health agencies, finance to provide services, and then public-private partnerships and community engagement. I thought it was really cool to see because if there's something good that came out of the pandemic, especially for public health, it's that this has caused such a disaster that nobody can ignore the problems that occurred at the point of care and at the community level ever again, right? So it's exciting to just be a part of this movement and be a part of creating the solutions to fix things instead of just talking about them. Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, I think it actually boils down to social determinants of health that we actually often talk about and strongly propagated by also Daniel Dows, who is the co-founder of Contact World, where we talk about the social determinants of health being not just health, but also where people are born, they grow, they live, they work, they age, and all sorts of socioeconomic factors and education, etc. Catherine, what do you think about social determinants of health as it ties into healthcare and health equity? Just going back to what Justin was talking about first is I think it's important to realize that there are so many different solutions that can be generated. And as time goes on, we're always going to see more and more people get involved. And I am impressed with the level of creativity and not just what we do and the solutions that we provide here at Contact, but also to be able to see that people will put things together that will address issues in the future. So I applaud those efforts. And I also want to caution people that just because one thing is being done on one end doesn't mean there are other things that can be done to make things better. So I'm glad to hear about what you've learned, Justin, and it's amazing. And I hope we get to be a part of that in some way, shape or form. But as far as what you were saying earlier, Deepti, I loved when you said that we should make health a shared value. How about that, right? (laughs) It sounds so basic, but it's not. It's going to require some adjustment for people to actually see that because there's always going to be people who, because of their backgrounds, because of socioeconomics, who are always going to see healthcare as a privilege and not something that's like a necessity or something that they should have access to on an ongoing basis. You know, five years from now, when we're talking, it's going to be, hey, this has been normalized. This is our new normal that healthcare is a shared value. So for this 10th and final episode of Contact World Truth and Health Season 1, it's fitting that we feature another public health and health equity icon in Dr. Q. Ree. Building on what we've learned from Daniel Dawes and the newly launched Health Equity Tracker Project, Q. brings a unique perspective of putting health equity into practice at massive scale. Since his role influences operations for about 10,000 CVS pharmacy locations and more than 20 million Aetna insurance members. So let's dive into this discussion between DT and Q. Hello, Dr. Ree. It's a pleasure to have you on your show today and thanks for making the time. So first of all, congratulations on assuming your new role as the Senior Vice President for CVS Health and Chief Medical Officer at Aetna. 
where I believe you will be leading the innovation and design and implementation of integrated healthcare management strategies and population health solutions. As a start, would you like to talk a little bit about your new role and the transition you recently made? I've been interested and committed to health equity my whole career. So I'm excited for this extraordinary opportunity to work with nearly 300,000 amazing people across this country who are looking to address, especially during this pandemic, health equity. Just a little bit about my personal history and my personal background is I'm a primary care physician by training, so internal medicine and pediatrics. My first job right out of residency was actually in Washington, D.C., in Columbia Heights at the corner of 14th and Irving, where I serve mostly underserved populations, many immigrant populations from El Salvador and Ethiopia. And right across the street was a CVS pharmacy. And at that time, you know, you can clearly recognize that health and healthcare is a team effort. The pharmacists across the street played a very important role in the care that we delivered in our community health center. We generally focus on health equity as the foundational element of this show, and it's also a major focus for our company. I mean, you already mentioned about, you know, how close you are to health equity as a cause. How does your new role at CVS Health and Aetna provide you the opportunity to pursue it? We at CVS Health are playing a very important role in addressing health equity in everything we do, particularly during this pandemic. So as I reflect on the extraordinary team of health and healthcare professionals at CVS Health, the over 50,000 pharmacists, pharmacy techs, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners. During this pandemic, we've been able to deliver over 15 million tests for COVID. Over half of those are in underserved communities. We've also delivered over 10 million vaccinations, 34%, so nearly a third of those are representing underrepresented minorities who are being vaccinated. Of course, we know that this pandemic has impacted disproportionately those populations, African-Americans, Hispanics, and it's such an important responsibility for us to make sure we vaccinate those populations to address health disparities and promote health equity. So as you rightly said that, you know, CVS has been involved with the testing of COVID-19 and more recently, you know, the administration of vaccines received directly from the federal government and vaccine equity being one of the most important areas of attention at this point in time. In that context, what lessons have you learned in improving access to as well as trust in vaccine for, let's say, marginalized populations with limited access to Internet as well as limited access to quality health care, for instance? I actually reflect on, once again, my experience as a community health center physician and how everything in health and healthcare is fundamentally about people and relationships. It's about that dynamic between a patient and a provider and the trust that occurs. And so as I think about the role we have, we are trusted in these communities, in these nearly 10,000 sites across the country. We also have pharmacists and pharmacy technicians who represent the populations we're looking to serve. So 50% of our pharmacy technicians are minorities and 40% of our pharmacists are minorities. And so one of the most fundamental parts of addressing health equity is, in my opinion, the making sure your workforce represents the populations that you're meaning to serve. And so once you think about pieces like that, then so much of it is about the conversations and the ability to better personalize the connections with people 
to help them address something like vaccine hesitancy. You know, an individual might be afraid of side effects or they might have read something online that gave them a certain impression. And so once again, the role of the pharmacist, the role of the pharmacy technician, the role of the doctor, the nurse, the nurse practitioner, and the broad range of health professionals that we have across our enterprise, across those nearly 10,000 sites, either in person or virtually, is such an important part of building that trust. I also think the role we have in public-private partnerships. I think we can see during this pandemic the role of companies like Pfizer and Moderna and CVS Health and how we partner with state, local, and federal government agencies is so important to partner together to serve those communities, particularly communities of color. Right. It's important that you highlight how CVS has such a diverse population and CVS locations. I mean, I was hearing one of your interviews where you said that they are in places which are actually identified by CDC Vulnerability Index as socially vulnerable, right? And I believe like what you're saying is about 50% of non-white population is actually serving the communities which are actually being served by the same communities. So definitely has a great role to play in terms of trust. And I also believe that during this pandemic, more than ever, much marginalized communities or communities of color are aware of disparities in healthcare systems and that they're receiving low quality of care. And I think that's the reason that they need to be addressed from trusted partners or trusted messengers. So that's a great work that you're doing there. At the same time, according to you, Q, what role do you think does data and analytics play in achieving equitable access to care and also, let's say, equitable data collection, for instance, from governments? The principle of data, in my view, and I'm also reflecting on my um, past decade at IBM, where we looked at the role of data and analytics and artificial intelligence in, in supporting and advancing and transforming health and healthcare. And we're applying many of those same principles here at CVS Health. So the concept that I want to highlight for the listeners is it's not just about the data, but it's about the insights you get from the data. And so the piece that I want to highlight as it relates to data is that it's important to have trust as you collect data. And so once again, going back to the principles that you want your workforce to represent the populations you serve, you want them to also be represented of those populations because of the sensitivity that's important as it relates to collecting what I would call health disparity relevant data. So race and ethnicity, for example. We're very proud of the fact that we collect that data in a very sensitive and trusted way. And so data trust is important. But then, as you stated, the next piece is how you translate that data into insights that are actionable, that are relevant, and that help address health disparities. And so the ability to translate those insights, I like to say you need to use the data and the analytics and the artificial intelligence to predict, personalize, and then ultimately prevent the outcome like covid hospitalization that you're looking to address. And so our ability to leverage our nearly 700 data scientists to play a role in translating that data into insights, they're a big part of the team. I mentioned the pharmacists and the pharmacy techs. The 700 data scientists play a very important role in translating that data into insights. And one great example of that is we learned quite a bit as it relates to the flu. And you can imagine there's a lot of retrospective data related to flu vaccination rates that have historically been delivered at and through a CVS pharmacy. And so our ability to use that data and then apply predictive analytics with those data scientists and then personalize with 91% accuracy the individuals who are likely 
not to get vaccinated, then the next piece of that is personalizing an intervention that we know will close that gap. Because it's one thing to know, it's another thing to figure out how to reduce the gap and get someone who normally wouldn't get vaccinated to be vaccinated. And some people, it's the mode of communication, it's the manner in which that communication is brought. It might be issues of vaccine efficacy or safety that need to be communicated effectively to that individual to have him or her address that vaccine hesitancy that might play a role. I also think in the age of the pandemic, convenience and access, the fact that 85% of Americans are within 10 miles of a CVS plays a very important role. You know, my experience as a primary care physician is that many people spend a lot of time in waiting rooms to see their doctor in hospital settings. And especially in the age of the pandemic, many people are looking for the access and convenience of their local pharmacy and the trusted broker of a pharmacist to deliver that vaccine very quickly. So I think those are very important factors, but as I wanted to emphasize, leveraging data isn't sufficient. You have to translate it into insights. And the team of data scientists that we have play a very important role working with our healthcare professionals. Absolutely. I mean, I'm hearing three things, of course. One is collection of data itself, which, you know, I was also reading a federal study that said that, you know, race and ethnicity data is missing for nearly half of coronavirus vaccine recipients. And this lack of data is actually leading to inequitable response to the pandemic. So collecting that data and making sense of that data. At the same time, when you talk about the transparency and trust, right, and you mentioned about AI and technology, which is going to be actually not just in health, every sphere of every industry. Industry, it's going to be very omnipresent. And I myself actually worked during the pandemic with MIT on one of the largest contact tracing solutions and realized that how important it is to have privacy by design integrated into the systems in terms of collecting it. And at the same time, when you talk about converting that into insights, you know, how do you use it? Uh, would you like to shed some light on how do we balance privacy and data collection when implementing technology to deal with public health crisis like this or even otherwise? Once again, everything in health and healthcare is about trust. It's about those teams that play a role, healthcare professionals, data scientists, and ultimately for the, the citizen, the consumer, the patient, the member. I can't underemphasize the importance of trust and transparency as you apply technology. And so there is an extraordinary volume of data that exists. As you suggested, many industries, retail, financial industries, are leveraging big data and big volumes of data to apply AI algorithms, machine learning algorithms, to better predict, personalize, and serve their customers. There's also a variety of data sets. So once again, that's really important, too. Connecting different data sets is also important. The volume, the variety, the velocity of that data is important. And then I would also suggest the veracity of that data. We all know we've been in situations where perhaps we felt that someone had the wrong data on us. You know, I've seen patients where like, no, that's not accurate, Dr. Rhee. I don't know where that came from. I'm not on that med. And so this ability to make sure we're putting those four Vs in. But the last V is the value. And so I do think we live in an age, as it relates to big data, where many people are more willing to share their data in a trusted and transparent way when they see value back to them. And they see those insights are actual and that they help them. As I just suggested, our ability with a high level of accuracy to be able to personalize interventions for people who normally wouldn't get the flu shot and then have them experience getting the flu shot is to me an important 
example of that. And so the broader concept that I want to highlight is that we all have this extraordinary data that is associated with us. And the concept of data privacy is important, but even the concept of data philanthropy is important. Individuals can consider how they could donate their data. The last decade at IBM, I had so many experiences where people would send me emails, people from all over the world and saying, you know, I want to donate my data to Watson. I have multiple sclerosis, I have cancer. I know that if I donate this, it might help others if we're able to provide that database where actionable insights and AI could be applied to better predict and prevent, you know, the consequences of these conditions. So we have to focus on the trust and the teams that build that trust. And ultimately, that's what healthcare is about. But data privacy, data trust could lead us to principles of data philanthropy. If there's ever a time that I would highlight part of the challenges of expediting or accelerating science and going from discovery to delivery revolves around issues of data trust and also recruiting people into clinical trials. If you can imagine a new model where you empowered individuals to participate and donate their data and be an active participant in clinical trials, there's extraordinary opportunities to also transform science and accelerate discovery to delivery. Let me switch gears here a bit and talk about, as we understand your new role at CVS Health includes commitment to health, housing, equitable access to care. And one of the key initiatives in current pandemic are definitely linked to vaccine equity. Can you talk to us a bit about the initiative of CVS Health with Lyft and YMCA? When you come out as a physician and you've done all this training in wonderful academic centers like Cedars-Sinai or UCLA, and then you come out into practice and you're there taking care of patients in a waiting room, you realize that health is so much more than just health care. So I like to use the acronym HEALTH, actually, to help me explain not only CVS Health's commitment, but my own commitment to believing that health is so much more than health care. So H is connected to housing. Our commitment to affordable housing in the communities where we serve is so important because, as we all know, issues of homelessness and, and housing play a very important role to be healthy and manage your health conditions. And so we've committed more than a billion dollars in affordable housing since 1997. And in 2020 alone, we invested more than $114 million to lead to the construction and rehab of 2,800 affordable housing units in 30 cities and 12 states. Education is also important. As I mentioned, when you serve populations, the people who serve should represent those populations. And I'm proud of the fact that our health and healthcare professionals, 40% of the health and healthcare professionals that work at CVS Health represent minorities. And so part of me wants to highlight this. Minority health is becoming majority health in the U.S. There are still challenges, though. For example, amongst physicians, only 5% of physicians are African-American and 5% of physicians are Hispanic, despite the fact that the broader population represents much more in terms of those groups. So our commitment to partnering with the United Negro College Fund and thinking about how we can uh, bring more Blacks and Hispanics into healthcare careers is another commitment we make. So that's the E in education. A is access to healthy choices. And I'm very proud of the fact that I'm part of a company that over five years ago quit the sale of tobacco. And And there's a great study in the American Journal of Public Health that showed that that intervention and that decision 
reduce smoking rates for individuals and customers of CVS, and also those communities in which CVS was in had lower rates of, of smoking. And so this idea that we're leveraging our influence to improve access to healthy choices is another example. The other one is labor. I'm very proud of this one as well. Like if you think about our five workforce and innovation centers and the fact that we've transitioned 115,000 people from public assistance to careers at CVS Health is a demonstration of our commitment to really thinking about labor and employment and the role we play in communities. Because of course, I mean, I would say one of the best things I could do for your health is make sure you have a job. And so once again, another important piece. Now transportation, as you highlighted, is really important as well. And our partnership with Lyft, we've seen that nearly half of all Lyft pickups are in underserved communities. And so of course, this idea of getting a vaccine And if you happen to have challenges with transportation, that you can use Lyft to get you to a CVS and get you vaccinated. I'm very proud of the fact that many of our sites that were vaccinated are already in underserved communities. But once again, as we know in these communities, public transport is challenging. People often don't own a car. You know, it's hard to get from place to place, not only for their job, but for their healthcare. And so we're very committed to that with our partnership with Lyft. The only other piece I'd add is, as you mentioned, YMCA, is that issue of healthy choices. We know the why plays a very important role in trust for promoting things like physical activity and social connectedness, particularly in communities that are underserved. And so the partnership with the why extends to thinking about health and healthcare and helping people get vaccinated. And I'm very proud of that. The last H is healthcare. And we could talk a lot about healthcare, but, you know, proud of our health hubs and our mini clinics and our pharmacies and our pharmacy techs and our pharmacists and our nurse practitioners that are delivering care every day in our nearly 10,000 sites. What I'm really hearing is that CVS Health is very much connected and very much committed to the social determinants of health to improve health equity, right? I know that personally that you've also been associated and facilitated the Culture of Health initiative with Robert Johnson Foundation to build the Culture of Health. So that's definitely a great cause also. And I think kind of ties in so well with where this country needs to go at this point in time. And so much is needed. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. I know there are like four areas that you kind of focus upon, like, consumer, employer, environment, and community health. And that's what you kind of talked about. But for the next question, I just want to focus a bit on companies as employers and CVS as employer, for instance. And we see during this pandemic that companies need to build a culture of trust, not just with customers, but with employees. So in that context, what measures do you see companies investing in as it relates to getting the workforce back to work? There are a couple of principles I like to talk about here. One is that every business is a health business. I think if there's ever a time we recognize during this pandemic, this concept of culture of health and also that businesses have an important role to play from those four pillars of consumer, employer, environment, and community. And I'm very proud in our corporate social responsibility report, we talk about each of those four areas, healthy people, healthy business, healthy communities, and healthy planet. There's another principle I like to say. I I personally felt it was a little uncomfortable. You know, there's some what I would call essential workers and non-essential workers as we've applied during this pandemic. But I'm a big believer we're all essential, right? I mean, there's (laughs) in some ways, you know, we all are essential. And 
companies have an important responsibility as this pandemic and as we vaccinate America to be very thoughtful about the health and well-being of their workforce. And of course, I think broader than that, we often have to think holistically about our efforts to bring people back to work, to be very adaptive in terms of work policies as well, right? How companies are very sensitive about their work policies are also important. So I'm very proud of the fact that we've been very proactive, as you can imagine, not only the health and safety of our customers who go through our stores, but we're relentlessly focused on the health and safety of our workforce as well. The basics of, you know, washing your hands. And it used to be a badge of courage when you go to work when you're sick, you know, you'd have your your sniffles or you'd be like, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm like, that age is gone, I believe. I think people, when they're sick, should stay at home. <laughs> and obviously you need sick policies to support that. You know, it's really exciting to see the role we're playing. We're practicing what we preach as we're delivering this care in communities all across this country, we're also, you know, making sure it applies to our own workforce as well. What I'm really hearing is more about the education that is involved, you know, to get the employees back as well, as well as thinking about their families and, you know, protecting them and also maybe installing systems within your locations as well, right, to kind of manage those populations well. This is something that is happening overall during the pandemic and the companies are taking care of all of these things. They're also because they want workforces to come back and also come back healthy. But how do you see those measures evolving as the pandemic is managed more effectively in the US as we achieve broader vaccinations, for instance, in the long run? How does that play out in the change in the mindsets? So... In the same way we talked about trust between a pharmacist and, you know, someone, citizen who's getting vaccinated or nurse practitioner seeing a patient who's got a, maybe an acute illness in one of our minute clinics, the trust between an employer and an employee is really essential, right? That trust. And so one of the things, I'm, as I suggested, I'm proud of is our focus on that as an employer, but also our efforts to deliver that for other employers. And so we have this program called Return Ready with over 100 clients that serve 1.5 million individuals. And so early in this pandemic, we recognize, I mean, you can imagine there are certain workforces that don't have some of the luxuries that you and I have that we could work from home, right? Manufacturing plants or retail settings, healthcare settings, you know, it's very important that we thought about how we can leverage our technology, our capabilities, our testing capabilities, to deliver solutions at the work site so that you could return ready, you could return safe. Think about that trust between an employer and an employee and preserving that. And so we've been leveraging analytics and we've been leveraging abilities to do on-site testing. And you can imagine now as the supply will surpass the demand and we're going to now address more issues of vaccine hesitancy. And there is going to be a lot of interest in having employers leverage solutions like Return Ready to maintain that trust and bring people back to the workplace. Right. I mean, very powerful concept of Return Ready and also really thinking about building that trust, which is most important thing. And I think this is the word which is most important that has turned out in the entire pandemic, you know, building trust with communities, trust with government, trust with employers, employees. So definitely a lot of good work that you guys are doing in that direction. As we are closing, I would love to have your thoughts on how do you think the role of public health agencies will evolve based on the lessons that we've learned from the pandemic? And also maybe if there is any intersection with the private sector at all. 
I'm just a public health professional in the private sector. So as you were suggesting, most of us think about public health agencies as governmental public health. It's, you know, agencies like the CDC, federal agencies, state agencies, as well as local health department agencies. And so that's a very important part. In some people's state, it's the backbone of a public health system. But as this pandemic has taught us, all the other stakeholders, academia, research, providers, payers or health plans, life science companies, companies like Pfizer and Moderna, CVS Health, you know, with our pharmacies, with our retail locations, with regards to Caremark and Aetna, we all play an important role and we all have to work to trust each other, you know, assure that the priority, which is keeping our communities, those populations healthy and safe, is the goal and partner, you know, across those different agencies, the public, the private sector, life science companies and payers, you know, providers and health plans. It's so important. It's really exciting to see how this pandemic has brought us all together. And my hope and belief is that we need to keep this momentum going, these partnerships, these collaborations in communities, especially communities of poverty and color across our country. I wrote a piece in Fortune at the beginning of the pandemic to say there are four curves to COVID. So we all got this public health literacy about the curve of COVID that we have to flatten. The other three curves, I believe, are mental illness, chronic disease, and inequities. And so the other thing I'd call out is we all have this broader responsibility, not only to focus on this infectious disease that we need to prevent to bring our communities back to work and to take care of our communities and our families, But we have to recognize that this pandemic has made us realize things like inequities that have been longstanding in our communities and mental illness. As you can imagine, this pandemic has impacted that even more than ever, but that has always been an issue as well. And then the fourth area of chronic diseases, people are actually afraid to go back to the doctor. I talked to a lot of my colleagues in hospitals and health systems are saying they're having challenges bringing people back into the office to manage their chronic conditions. And so that's going to be another important pandemic that we have to address. So we need to flatten all four curves of COVID with public-private partnerships and with all these stakeholders and the trust we've built during this pandemic to go beyond. I think the two statements I take away from here are really very powerful and very compelling statements I find personally is we are all in public health. And all businesses are in healthcare business. I mean, I think both of them are such true statements that people should be actually really working towards. Thanks a lot for your time today. And we also know that at CVS, the mission is to make healthcare more accessible, more affordable and simply better. And I'm certain the expertise and leadership you are bringing to the table throughout your career, but especially right now throughout the pandemic and going forward, it has certainly helped the cause and will do so also in future. And just want to emphasize that we really value your vision and the thought leadership you bring and wish you all the success in your new role. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to all your listeners as well and all of my partners at CVS Health. Thank you. So Catherine and Deepti, as key team members at Contact World, what have you learned about the way that Contact World is poised to improve public health systems? What I've learned from this season is the sense of 
humanity and community required to really change systems. I think a lot of times when you look at inequalities and deficiencies in systems and public health system in particular, you think, oh, well, the government needs to do something, somebody needs to do something. And we take away the level of accountability for the human connections that we must have in order to address those issues in looking at how these issues affect people, not just financially, but emotionally, mentally. There's so many components. People talk about what's happened with the virus and COVID-19, but people also miss out on the human level affectations. And there's also the resiliency and the level of creativity and enterprising spirit of people who took on the challenges to address them, to speak out, to set the standard and people like Daniel Dawes, who led the Health Equity Project, people that we've spoken to throughout the season of the podcast, shedding much needed light on the disparities. Those are the heroes, the courageous warriors who stood as really the activism frontline to lend their time, their credibility to the issues and really stake their reputation to really let us know how to address these issues that we're facing. So although the season has been about the pandemic, I think I would choose to rephrase it and say that it has been about how a community, a community of activists or credentialed professionals choose to lend themselves to helping shed light, to helping us in seeing the bigger picture and solving for the solutions that we need. I think it's that community of people with a sense of humanity who wanted to see the systems change for the better, who wanted to shed light on the stories that needed to be heard, like Fiona's. So I hope listeners, when they hear this season, I hope they can put themselves in the shoes of the people who have been affected by this pandemic. I hope that they will in turn be moved and have their sense of activism activated. This podcast and the season entirely has been such an eye-opener. I've learned personally so much from it. The number one thing that I've really learned here is the root cause of health disparities typically occur outside of the four walls of a hospital or a health system. Almost every guest on this show highlighted how the communities of color and minority populations have been disproportionately affected during the pandemic. COVID-19 has not been the great equalizer at all. The social factors such as where you live, where you work, where you play, have actually led to what you've experienced during this pandemic. And secondly, the barriers and the roots of COVID-19 and the disparities that we see are in systemic and institutional racism that is not just a historic phenomenon. It's real. The coronavirus has led bare the existing inequities 
in the infrastructure and in the health ecosystem throughout the season we enable discussions to get to the bottom of what's happening with these disparities as in one of our episodes we talked about residential segregation and how it is a key factor that leads to other forms of segregation including educational segregation and the limiting of employment opportunities and growth opportunities and although we do know that residential segregation is not an easy one that we can fix but we do have the opportunity for other downstream fixes in terms of educational opportunity and also economic opportunity at the same time what we learned is that to treat disease and better yet to prevent it we must understand that having great healthcare and even providing access to healthcare does not guarantee public health and a good population health what we really need is that everyone in the population must know about their healthcare options know how to use it and have transportation and have paid time off and childcare so that they can use their healthcare another important thing which we've constantly talked about is a way of bringing these conversations forward and also by way of the coinciding projects that i lead personally at contact world as well in terms of relating it to bottom up innovations in public health and that a targeted and a thoughtful application of design in global public health systems is one of the ways to take real action which a lot of us are actually able to do in order to improve projects programs organizations and also save lives as we are applying human centered design to understanding communities and public health perspectives at contact world we understood that a broad set of community side barriers need to be brought into focus these barriers include awareness about science and why and how it works cultural and social beliefs access to right information and affordability of health measures these challenges and these lack of strategic communications often ignored what they actually do is they prevent populations from listening to public health even if the resources are sometimes available to them and last but not the least what we've really learned here is as well what gets measured gets improved there is a need to capture essential health equity data the lack of which majorly contributed to the unequal covid-19 outcomes i do hope that the listeners enjoyed our conversations with the 10 guests that we have had in the last few months and for the first time we all know that everyone the lay public the politicians the health experts the citizens globally everyone is thinking about the pandemic and also the inequities and systemic infrastructure failures and these common shared moments and feelings in time offer us an opportunity to collectively act now to build better i do want to thank everybody listening because the fact that you even listened and got to the end of this podcast show or even this series it shows how much you care and it shows how much you want to be part of this change there is always a way for you to get engaged and make a difference in your communities and i would just challenge each one of you to take advantage of that thank you it's hard to believe that we've completed 10 shows for contact world truth and health thank you so much for spending your time with us We started this company in March of 2020 to help health agencies and employers improve health within their communities. We've since learned that the issues we're addressing with our technology have actually existed for more than 150 years. 
Along the way, we've been humbled by awards from Fast Company, Stevie Awards, and Big Innovation Awards for our technology platform, and AV Awards for this podcast. And we're really just scratching the surface. Like you, I've been learning along the way from experts and then regular folks like you and me. I think the most important thing I've learned, though, through this podcast and through developing our company, you cannot fix anything if you don't try. Innovation is not for the timid, and we all possess within us a special power to create change, but it starts with just a first step. So thank you for taking the first step with us and for believing in us. We're trying to save the world, so who knows what we'll accomplish together. Listen to Contact World, the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 